Hey everyone, my name is Yaro and you're listening to the Daydream Rose podcast. Thank you so much for joining me and happy belated autumn equinox to you. I'm sorry there's been a, a bit of an unexpected podcast pause. I moved houses this week, so much has happened in the world and to be really honest I just didn't have the presence and headspace to edit a new episode. I have um, really beautiful ones yet to come out from this year. And I think I just kind of, I'm on a different timeline at the moment, um, if that makes sense. I know I'm not alone in this experience and I'm really grateful for your patience. So I'm sharing an episode with Alison Carr with you today, which I really, really enjoyed listening back to just now. I met Alison many years ago um, on one of her herbal courses she did at the time and have really loved seeing her work over evolve and unfold over time and um, and more recently this year read her as in called servant um, which I can't hi- recommend highly enough it's been really really eye-opening and encouraging and inspiring to read it and so I'm glad that we got to talk about it a little bit more and yeah if you're if you're thinking about what it means to connect with your own truth and um, to question power structures and authority and if you're interested in polyvagal theory and healing trauma then I think you might really enjoy this episode and I would love to hear what you think. An announcement from me, I'm beginning the dream program on Saturday the 3rd of October so if you're listening to this later you can show, uh, still check the link out. I might be running this program again um, but for now we're starting this Saturday for a six-week writing and meditation program and this is pay what you can so you can become a patron at any level um, I might raise the patreon tiers a little bit in the near future but not for this week so you can pledge um, three dollars eleven twenty two whatever you can afford I would just invite you to ask yourself what you would pay for a similar program um, usually or elsewhere or what you can afford and what feels fair to you and yeah so I'm, I'm keeping it pretty simple because this is what I most need right now and what I hear other people needing as well or sharing with me that they are excited about this idea um, so it's a six-week container and it's an attempt to begin processing a little bit of what's happened this year I'm not going to share a ton of content each week because I feel like most of us pretty overloaded. We don't need extra stuff to think about right now. We mostly need space to be held and to reflect and to be together. That's at least what I need. So every Saturday, starting next Saturday, the 3rd, we'll meet for 45 minutes on Zoom. And I'll guide us into a little meditation in the beginning. There'll be a little bit check-in. And then we're each going to write together and check back in at the end and we'll be quietly there will be candles lit I'm going to share some journaling prompts so it's really low energy low key you don't have to be on video if you don't want to be those sessions won't be recorded so everything stays on the session um, and you either can come or you might not be able to come it's totally up to you Um, and then each week I'm sending out an email with some journaling prompts a little bit of a pep talk around writing and showing up to a practice that feels good for you and yeah I also feel like a dream feels like a good thing to explore what we're dreaming about and thinking about as we're going into the darker part of the year 
So if you join, uh, if you'd like to join that, check the link in the profile, become a patron, let me know if you have any questions, and then enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, this is my second hello. I'm a bit giggly and tired today, but who isn't these days? Anyway, I'm super excited to speak to Alison Carr. I was just saying how we've been on this quite long journey together and have worked with each other in all kinds of different capacities. So um, I think we first met about four or five years ago in a class that Alison ran um, together with someone called Melanie. I can't remember her surname. Can you remind me? St. Ors. Yes. Cool. Um, and that was really one of the gateways, I think, that opened me to herbalism and informed my bodywork practice. And so that class and that work is really still with me in lots of ways today. And I've just really enjoyed following along with Alison's work so much. And um, I've built a website for her. I've received her zine and absolutely loved it. I'm really excited to talk about it today. And I'm just also really just comforted in these times by her presence in my life, even if we sometimes just see each other on Instagram. So Alison, that was my little fangirl intro. I'm so grateful you're here and really excited to speak to you. Thank you. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I feel the same, actually. You just, you gave this wonderful, comforting, like, speech before we started, and I just felt myself kind of sink into my body, and I was like, oh, yeah, this feels nice. Great. I'm so glad. Um, so uh, should we maybe start by you telling us a little bit more in your own words about what you're doing in the world and how maybe also that's changed with um, the current pandemic that we're in? Yeah. Yeah, so I am an um, acupuncturist by trade. Um, I've been in private practice for 10 years now, celebrating my 10th year as a practitioner. Um, before that, I, was, I have studied uh, Western herbs. I was a body worker for a while. And then I also, in the middle of that whole training, um, started my path uh, towards witchcraft. And I was involved in a school for many, many years, which is what my zine is about, um, that I en ultimately ended up leaving for reasons that um, we, I'm sure we will get into. Um, and now I find myself, I guess I would define myself as sort of, I'm an, I identify as an animist. Um, I really believe in rooting down into the land that I'm on and the plants that grow around me and connecting with my ancestors. Um, other than that, I just really feel like I'm questioning a lot of my former beliefs. So I find myself in a very like contemplative questioning place. Um, and since for a while now, uh, before the pandemic even started, I, with my, my spiritual practice and my spiritual teaching practice, I used to run an online course on, in the wheel of the year. I really shut everything down about three years ago in an attempt to really grapple with one, kind of coming to terms with the, the, the sort of things I wanted to unlearn from my schooling in witchcraft and uh, sort of grappling with this question of like, um, what, if not that, then what do I believe? And I really felt the need to kind of go quiet and um, dive real deep inside and kind of figure out for myself because there was an element where I felt like I was sort of um, speaking somebody else's beliefs. And 
I was really left with the question of, well, what's true for me? Um, so I have just recently opened up, just, just barely opened up teaching in magic. Again, I have a Patreon account that I just use as my sort of way to kind of float some ideas out there of what I'd like to start teaching again. And I feel like there's something birthing in that realm, um, but I don't know what it is yet. And then I also have been spending a lot of time studying um, trauma-informed practices and somatics, doing a lot of work with polyvagal theory and attachment stuff, and kind of beginning to start to practice what I would like maybe classify as sort of a compassionate listening somatic practice where I'm just helping people tune into their um, sensations going on in their body, providing some compassionate like witnessing and also some safe attachment and seeing where that leads us in terms of being able to tune in and regulate our nervous system and find a place of deep calm and safety. Mm -hmm. So that's that's been the part that has lasted through the pandemic that's the one part of my practice it's i i've really been thinking about how i can translate acupuncture to an online world and that part is hard but the somatics translate really easily and so i've been starting to shift my practice over into virtual sessions with people and um just focusing on that piece. And then I also recently released a course, um, kind of just a little crash course in, in those practices and what's been most helpful to me. And that's called the resilience course. Mm -hmm. Gosh, there's so much here. That's really beautiful that I would love to expand on. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, before we go further in those directions, I would love to ask you the two questions that I'm kind of beginning to open my interviews with. And the first yeah. one is, what are you currently grieving? Hmm. Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, I think, you know, when you, I, yeah, when you asked it, I was like, oh man, I don't even, I don't even, um, I haven't unpacked that question recently. There's some obvious ones. I'm grieving a beloved pet. Um, who left us the very first week of, of self-isolation. Her name was Blue, and she was a gorgeous Border Collie mix. Um, and she'd been with me for um, also 10 years. And um, she was sort of my first, she was my first dog that was mine. And she got very sick, and I did all my best to try to nurse her through, and then it became very clear um, that she wasn't, she wasn't going to make it. So she left us the first week of isolation. And um, that was a very bittersweet parting. I feel like she went well. Um, I got to be with her, um, you know, her whole last day I just spent on the ground, curled up around her body and um, she went very peacefully. And that was a, I think almost like a gift she gave me in terms of it just opened up the well of grieving like there were already so many other things that were happening like I came home from work on a Friday and my wife and I decided we were like okay this is it we're not leaving the house again um, and it was before any of the governmental bodies here had declared a shelter in place or anything and we had just decided that for us and our family this was this was just the practice we were going to do so I really feel like the gift she gave me in that was her departure at that moment allowed me to just process so much grief for so many other things. Um, 
I am, of course, grieving my private practice. Um, you know, I found myself the first few weeks of this just really wondering what my patients were doing and how they were and, and really missing our little weekly updates on, on what was going on in their lives and just thinking about them and realizing that, that like, it's such a gift too to be witness to somebody else's life and process, even if it's only for an hour a week. Um, and I just, I'm really missing that. <sighs> you know, and then, um, I think I'm, I'm grieving my, you know, getting to see and hug my friends. Um, there was a trip home to visit my family in Oregon that I had to cancel because of this. And my parents are in their 80s, so I definitely get to see them a lot over the video, but there's a sense of grief of like, not knowing when exactly I will get to see them again. And, um, and that feels hard also. I'm definitely, I'm definitely grieving that possibility. And then just, I guess, future plans. You know, I had sort of chalked, I had a whole bunch of things on the slate for this year. Um, that I, of course, had, like everybody had to cancel. And um, I think there's just the big open space of like, okay, so this is, this is, this is now how it's going. So what does this mean? How, how, will, this, how will this play out? Um, and I think part of that is just grieving, grieving what I've had to let go of. So yeah, yeah, I think that feels complete. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was nodding along and making hmm sounds and then I realized I was muted. Oops. <laughs> but yeah, I really just want to honor your grief. Those things are such big losses. Um, I really relate to the grief around your pet. I, I feel the anticipation with that already with my older dog and also the disconnection with, from family and the uncertainty about you know, how long are we waiting to see them again? And I keep saying, I think the first 20 hugs I'm going to get to give, I will definitely cry for each yeah. and every one of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then my second question is, what kind of ritual practices feel good to you right now? Mm, that's a good one. And I, I've really had to re-evaluate what I consider to be a ritual practice uh, through this. I found... I, I noticed for myself before this even happened, but when I'm in a heightened state of nervous system activation, um, like doing a formal ritual practice just is not possible for me. I just, I can't settle. I can't, I like it. It's, it's almost like I feel averse to it. And, um, I used to internalize a lot of guilt around that. And I think, uh, that's an aspect of the sort of deprogramming that I'm coming out of with the, the school that I used to belong to of feeling like I was somehow um, there was something wrong with me for feeling that practice. And the more I've gotten into sort of the somatic work and, and studying the trauma response, the more I'm like, well, of course, of course I feel that way because those things are impossible when you're feeling like you're activated by a threat response. So I have been, I mean, so the ritual that I has been uh, saving me the most right now is tending to my sourdough starter. Um, I made a delicious gluten-free sourdough starter that I wake up every morning and I, um, I get to see how many bubbles it made. And then I feed it a little bit and I stir it and I get to smell it. And um, I peek at it throughout the day and I get to, you know, think about what kind of delicious things I want to make with it. And, those that simple practice of just sort of having a thing that I'm tending 
um, has been what's been sort of anchoring me through this. Um, one of the other practices that has been anchoring me through is my son. Um, I decided really early on in this that I was sort of there, you know, at the beginning, I think of this whole pandemic, uh, lots of us were like, oh, we're going to do Zoom this and Zoom, Zoom that. And we're going to have all these meetings and we're just really going to stay connected. There was sort of this activation. And it was after the very first week of it that I was like, actually, I can't have my son on the iPad all day. Um, so I'm going to spend, our mornings are going to start just us being together. And um, we keep it really simple. You know, his, his jobs for the day are to draw a picture. He has to go outside. Um, he needs to play a little music and uh, he needs to play by himself, but for, for a short amount of time. And it's just like grounding into those really simple practices. And so for me, it has been, um, you know, trying to make sure that I laugh with him and that we get some good connection time and some contact nutrition around that. And, um, yeah, making sure that he gets some outside play and making sure that I see joy on his face um, is another thing, an indication to me that, um, you know, that, okay, this is the right track. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then I think the last one has just simply been checking in with what's happening outside for me. Um, uh, we're in very early early spring here. We have no leaves yet. Um, there's still snow on the ground, but we're starting to see bare ground peek through. And um, the birch sap just started flowing, which is a major, major shift for us here. And it's something I wait for every year. And um, normally we would tap, we tap our birch trees and we take the sap into a collective, but that's been shut down to boil into syrup. And so this year we're just drinking it. It's sort of like a fresh water kind of like a coconut water type drink it doesn't taste like coconuts but it's got those kind of electrolytes and stuff in it and so um grounding into the small changes that are happening outside and um when you live up here and it's primarily um i'm in alaska um it's primarily winter nine months out of the year it's like the, the infinitesimal changes that happen with the light and the plants are really really important because there's a lot of sameness throughout the year so i think those would be those would be the things that are kind of keeping me anchored right now and making cups of tea. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> My day is punctuated by like, has it been long enough that I can have another cup of tea and not have too much caffeine? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that was so beautiful to listen to. I think there's so much richness in how you create and decorate and live your everyday life. I love mm -hmm. the simplicity of that kind of approach to ritual, especially right now, but really actually always. Um, my friend, um, Samantha Wallen, whom I'm hoping to um, interview as well, she writes beautiful poetry and she's written a series about, yeah, how we're experiencing everyday life right now. And I, unfortunately, I'm totally going to butcher how she expressed it, but she said something along the lines of seeing something ordinary clearly is an unusual thing. And I think we get to really experience that right now. And you described that so beautifully to really look at these practices as something sacred as and as really important and really nurturing so yeah and i think that's been the gift i mean when i think back on what life was like prior to this big slowdown um i didn't i didn't get to do many of those things i certainly didn't get to spend every morning with my son um you know he had school and daycare and i was working and my wife works and it was very. It was a very different pace to life, and and I'm trying to just also maintain gratitude 
for that, even though there's moments in it where it's, it's hard to stay present and really hard to feel anything other than like, oh, I don't want to be here. Um, just trying to take both, you know, those moments mm -hmm. with the moments where I really feel appreciative to be here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that I love your zine so much. It's telling, I think, mm -hmm. a really important story of really wanting practices and a framework and spirituality and then also the complexity of that and yeah and and how traumatic it can be to to think we have found that kind of support system but it turning out that it wasn't the right place for us so I would love mm -hmm. you to tell us a little bit more about that story really as much of it as you like and I also really encourage anyone to read the zine who is interested to hear more yeah thank you um, so I wrote a zine. It's called it's called Sovereign is the name of the story. And um, it's about the process I went through. I was involved with a very, um, it's, fa it's famous in Portland. I don't know how much it makes it outside of the city of Portland, Oregon. Um, but within that city, it was sort of this very famous but hard to find mystery school that started. I joined it in its first year in 2005. Um, and um, I was involved with it for about seven years. And through that time, I graduated from the school, became a student teacher. I asked for a formal initiation in that uh, tradition of witchcraft, uh, which was sort of emerging and evolving as I was in the school. When I first started, it was a school that claimed to be from the reclaiming tradition, which is a very you know, worldwide, um, long established tradition. Um, that started in the Bay Area in the U.S. Um, in the 70s, I believe. And then as the school progressed, it sort of, the teachers involved in it, and as the group sort of around the center of the school coalesced, um, it, the, you know, the, the story evolved, and it was like, no, we're actually our own thing now, and we're initiating priestesses into our path. And um, my initiation, I ended... Um, in a way that uh, at the time felt like a failure. Um, I was involved in a it, was a, it was a very hard time in my life when I parted ways with the school. I was pregnant. Um, I was having a really difficult time with my partner, um, who I'm still married to. We were, uh, for moments during that time, we were actually broken up. And um, the advice and pressure I was receiving from my mentor tours and initiators um, eventually led to me parting ways with the school. It was sort of, there was, there were ultimatums and um, lots of pressure and lots of involvement into the personal aspects of my life that started making me feel like it was, um, it was not helpful to say the least and, and starting to verge on harmful. And then I went through another seven-year period of sort of deconstructing what had happened to me. That was kind of the climax of my sort of involvement with the school. And then it took me another seven years to sort of deconstruct what I had been through and start to look back at that was sort of the crack 
for me around um, my belief system with the school. And then it took me another seven years to kind of walk my way out of that school. And so the story really is, the zine is a, is a personal story and it's about my involvement. Um, and it's really about this period when I made the choice to leave. And then it's kind of about my thought process coming out of it. And um, the conclusion that I've come to around it is that there are aspects of what was going on in that school that were reminiscent of a cult and that um, it was really helpful for me to recognize that and to recognize the ways in which that dynamic operates just simply so that I could then start to reclaim some of my sovereignty and um, also heal from that process and just sort of recognize that like I talk a lot in the zine about how the attachment attachment systems are manipulated and exploited within cult-like environments and how um, it was really important for me to dig into trauma informed healing so that I could realize, Oh, actually like this, this wasn't a, a, this wasn't an instance where I was simply weak or hoodwinked by a group of people. I wasn't brainwashed. I was simply being human and it is normal and human for for us to want to uh, please and form attachments with our, our mentors and our community. And it's, it's normal for us to want to seek warmth and acceptance and it's normal for us to want to have you know guidance and and um support from the people we choose as mentors and and not only is it normal but we should we should expect to be able to do that and in any instance where that's being manipulated or not treated with the kind of care that it should be treated with um it's really good to start asking questions about why that's so and maybe perhaps considering uh whether you want to be involved in that kind of a group so there's a lot there. I think that's a good, I think that's a good starting summary. Yes, that's really, really beautiful. I got so much out of listening to you saying things like, it's normal to seek that warmth and to want guidance. These are, yeah, so, such, such important things to remember. I feel that not in the same way, but in different ways, I have compromised myself in seeking those things sometimes. And so it's been really yeah, really good and really insightful to read your zine and reflect on those things myself as well. Thank you so much for sharing and for writing that. Yeah, and I guess the one thing I wanted to tag on to that is, so I talk a lot in the book, there's a term called disorganized attachment, um, which is where we, we, we simultaneously love somebody, but we also are a little bit scared of them. And so there's this push-pull. It's like anytime we're near them, there's automatically a little bit of an activation of, of the fight-or-flight response because they're unpredictable and we know that they're capable of both giving us this love, but also inflicting a little bit of harm. And that's the exact same dynamic that happens in abusive situations. So this isn't just, it's not, it's not just a dynamic that's, that's um, unique to high demand groups or cults. It's actually every, every day, all the time we experience this. And I, and I also would say, it's used a lot in our education system. Um, it's sort of a holdover, I think, from an older form of, of learning where we, it's, that, it's that fire under pressure kind of thing that I, that I don't know where, it's patriarchy based. I mean, I'm like, I don't know where it comes from, but I do know where it comes from. And it's just such, it's, it's, it's so wrong and it so goes against our biology. I mean, but I just want to, to just highlight for everybody that it's out there and everywhere. And the way that it shows up a lot of times is when, we're actually put into play, we're, we're put off guard by people. So we're, we're met with the stone face or that we're met with the unfriendly face. Um, 
And that automatically sends us into a, a fight or flight response. And then we're expected to stay cool and collected. Like anybody who's ever been interfaced with a border crossing guard has experienced the same dynamic. It's exactly the same dynamic used in, you know, um, customs and immigration uh, techniques too. It's, it's that same thing where it, it's like as humans, we're actually hardwired to seek kindness and connection that's in our biology. That's how we survived. It's evolutionary. It's how we survived up until now. And yet we've developed this system where we feel like it's okay to put people in a place where they're actually traumatized and activated. And then if they freak out, we get to use that as evidence that there's something wrong with them. And I just, I, I feel like it's just absolute complete. Like, is it okay to swear? Yes. Yeah, it's totally. just bullshit. It's such <laughs> bullshit. It's like, and so, and so there's a piece of me deconstructing this part of my own personal experience with the school, but also wanting to say it's happening all the time for all of us everywhere. And it's, we don't, it's not okay. And I, I'd like to see us find a better way. Me too, so much. I love that comparison to the border guards. And mm. uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for naming that. I also wonder if you'd like to expand a little bit more on attachment theory and relationships and maybe also polyvagal theory. I think that's something I, um, I'm excited about too and I hear a lot about on Instagram, but I just really love asking as many people as possible to explain to me in their own words what it means to them because it is also pretty new and I would just yeah. love to share more understanding. So yeah, I would love yeah. to hear. Yeah. Um, okay. It's, yeah, let me see if I can keep it simple. So polyvagal theory is just simply the idea that a lot of us are familiar with the, the idea that we have two sort of uh, two ways of being in our nervous system. We have fight or flight, or we used to think we had fight or flight or rest and digest. And polyvagal theory just adds a nuance onto that, which is saying, no, we actually have three. Um, we have fight or flight, which is our um, Ner like our sympathetic nervous system activation. And then our parasympathetic nervous system activation has two branches and they're connected to the vagus nerve. The first one is what we would maybe think of as rest and digest. It's the ventral vagal system. It's the vagus branch of the vagus nerve that runs down the front of our body. It um, is the social attachment system. So it's what allows us to um, feel safe and regulated and connecting with other people is absolutely integral to the ventral vagal system. That's where attachment theory starts to come in. The vagus nerve and the cranial nerves that are paired, not paired, but we have a series of cranial nerves that go directly to our brain and they innervate all the things that wire our, our attachment systems, our eyes, our faces, our mouths. Um, the vagus nerve runs through our digestion. So, Biologically, we are hardwired to feel safe and connected when we're, meeting, we're met with kind eyes and we hear certain vocal tones. There's branches of it that go to the ears and we hear, hear certain vocal, vocal tones make us feel safe. When we ingest food around other people, we feel calm and safe and relaxed. Um, when you think about it evolutionarily, right, um, seeing other people eat who are smiling at you is a really good signal that you're safe you know, and, and, and we, we evolved in community. And so if you're a little kid growing up in a community and your entire grouping is sitting down and singing and smiling and eating, it's pretty good cue to you that, you know, you can relax. 
the dorsal vagal branch is what we would call the reptilian freeze response. Um, and it's the part of us that puts us into that deep freeze um, shutdown. It's, uh, it's, um, it's what happens to us when the fight or flight, uh, when fighting or, fl or fleeing becomes no longer an option. We have a third option, which is to go into dorsal freeze. And um, there's a lot of speculation about how, that's, how that has served us evolutionarily. Um, a lot of people think it's because we could then play dead and a predator would then leave us alone. It also spares us if, if there's a trauma that's too great, you know, physically or emotionally, it, it gets us sort of gets us out of the way so we don't actually have to fully experience it. It's dorsal freeze is what we would commonly think of as a disassociative state. So we, we sort of exit the building. Um, and it's also a perfectly normal automatic uncontrollable response to trauma and i think where this is where this plays out now in our modern day worlds is that a lot of times that dorsal freeze gets paired really early on with um things that aren't actually physical life threats but as kids uh we can't necessarily tell the difference right so um uh, the caregiver that we're dependent on for food and nourishment and warmth and even the ability to feel calm if that person is scary or even just like not be able to meet us in the in the warm way that we would need to um, we might pair early on that dorsal freeze response with um, you know a certain look on somebody's eyes and it's subtle and it doesn't mean we go into a full body freeze but there might be a small part of us that sort of subtly freezes up when we see certain facial expressions or hear a tone of voice and then taking that that's a very subtle example and then taking that all the way through to abuse and trauma um, where that freeze response gets paired with much more um you know harmful uh overt um actions that can happen to us so that's polyvagal theory in a nutshell um, and it's, I'm not even doing it justice, but that's kind of the basic gist of it. And then the attachment theory is this whole idea that depending on how you grew up and, and what kind of access you had to a present and responsive caregiver, um, you develop adaptations for how you uh, deal with intimacy based on how safe it was when you were younger. Um, I'm just going to take a pause here. And take a breath and if there's anything you need to ask me or redirect me towards i have more i could say about that but i just want to take a second to take a breath with that yeah i'll join you with a really deep breath yeah i thought that was such a beautiful overview and a really really good introduction i was again nodding along and just opening it up if you want to share anything more but i also have other questions i could ask you yeah let's i think i think i i think i said a lot and uh <laughs> <laughs> i could talk about it all day but yeah let's move let's move on okay great sure so yeah that was a really beautiful introduction and I love how that's weaving into the healing work that you do in so many different forms. And I'm wondering if someone is listening to this and is feeling excited 
like how would that translate into a body-based practice for example or is there something that comes to mind where you feel like oh yeah this is a beautiful way in which I'm applying this and that's really helpful right now yes thank you that is the perfect question um I think the practice with it and it's it's nothing new and it's nothing we haven't been told before and it's maybe gonna make a few people groan because it certainly made me groan the practice with it is just being present right and being present with the sensations within our body um the beauty of polyvagal theory or at least for me the beauty of finding out about polyvagal theory was that it gave my brain a map to put these things onto, it can feel very disorienting and overwhelming to go into a freeze response. And if, and we have no control over it, I was going to say it feels like we have no control over it, but we actually have no control over it. So the only way we can meet these automatic, uncontrollable nervous system shifts that happen within us is by allowing ourselves to be present enough to recognize them. And then there's steps we can take to shift ourselves out of them. But the first step is just simply being able to recognize um, when you're in a dorsal freeze or a fight or flight activation. I mean, for me, the biggest aha was realizing that I actually, I, I go into dorsal freeze all the time. I hadn't realized it. And um, it's part of like, I would consider myself to be a little bit avoidant in my attachment adaptations. And I hadn't realized that like, oh, those are those moments where I'm supposed to be present with my loved ones. And instead I'm zoning out and spacing out and I can't bring myself back because for me, those two things were paired um, to where I would go into a dorsal freeze, just a little bit of one. Um, but it was enough to allow, like it was interfering with my personal relationships. And so taking that step to recognize, okay, this is what dorsal freeze feels like for me. So now when I notice the telltale signs, I can start to back up a little bit. And I know that there are practices that I can do. A lot of them simply just being present with where I'm at, allowing myself to breathe, allowing myself to notice. And when, I, and when you do that, oftentimes the uncomfortable sensations that come with um, either dorsal freeze or fight or flight, um, they feel like they're going to be too much to handle. But the minute you can kind of take a second to tune into them and name them um, and be present with them, they actually resolve themselves quite quickly. Um, not to say that they don't often come with emotional releases or... Um, some discomfort in doing that but the practice of slowing things down enough to where you can recognize um, what's happening in your body is key to keeping that really manageable and that's also the part of the practice in you know most most ethical forms of trauma healing are involved in this really slow process of like instead of like let's just slow it down so that we can pay attention to the really micro shifts that are happening within us. And then we can start to name them or at least start to have some kind of vocabulary around them, bring them into our consciousness, and then also perhaps make contact with our frontal cortex enough to say, okay, I feel like this, this is a telltale sign for me. I'm in dorsal freeze. I'm actually just gonna move my arms. I'm going to stretch and I'm going to take a deep breath. And even doing that simple action is going to help pull me out of it just a little bit so that I can be more present. 
Mm, I love that so much. Whenever you use the word slow, my whole mm. body was just like, bing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is the best thing I feel. I feel in the last eight weeks, I've been the slowest I've ever been in my adult life. And I'm only just really slowly coming out of this cocoon of lying on the floor a lot, eating mm -hmm. all the things, all the things, continuously going to my fridge, looking for solutions and answers and just lying down with a snack. And I think, yeah, like this week I, I've, I've begun creating something. I've, I've made a weaving last week and updated my website today that I really needed all this time. And I think this is a bit of a burst of energy and creativity. And then I'm going to go back into the slowness again. And it's a really big lesson and really uncomfortable sometimes. Um, I think also... Yeah, this language that you've given us around describing and noticing these things is so beautiful. And also sometimes it can feel like a big responsibility almost. Um, sometimes I wonder, like, how was life different when I <laughs> didn't know all these things? And I actually really don't want to back, go back, obviously. I really appreciate any kind of knowing of myself that I can hold on to feels really precious and, and important. Um, And also it's a lot to be, to be with all these things that are happening right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to share another question with you. And I really want to say that this can be as big or as small as you would like it to be. And you can really absolutely take this anywhere you like. And I actually also don't really ex expect anyone to have a real answer to this, but I'm wondering what you're wishing for us collectively for the next few months. Like what are you hoping for or What, what do you think would be a good idea for us to do or what, what kind of feels grounding for you at the moment? Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, my biggest wish, and I was saying this right at the beginning of this whole thing, my biggest wish is that we all could develop networks of community resilience that are strong enough and, and, and reach out and, and encompass enough people and sort of build our webs. I know we're all doing it from a distance, but just I'm thinking about like food security networks and gardening practices and like alternative economies and mutual aid um, groups to where when we finally are given the option of going back to the rat race that was um, the late stage death knell end of capitalism that we were all being ground down to a pulp in prior to this, that it is so unappealing that we, that enough of us decide we don't want to go back. Yes. That's my biggest wish. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that it comes with a lot of need for those of us in relative privilege to start, you know, to need, to need to extend those networks of care outwards, because it's one thing for me to say that I'm, I'm safe in a, in a house and, um, you know, it's really different for those people um, experiencing this in a much more violent way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, you, ex you expressed this really beautiful. I, um, again, my whole body, as you were saying, as we were ground, grinding, being ground to a pulp in this machine, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I really kind of fluctuate between seeing more and more people saying, yeah, actually, I really don't want my job back. And actually, I think just buying from my local farmer whenever I can is a really cool thing and maybe better than going to the supermarket and and also I hold the complexity of looking at privilege within that and it feels sometimes clunky and awkward to find language because yeah it is complicated and we have very little practice or very little modeling in the in the public media around those things um, I think so yeah um, I'm just going to ask now, which again, you can totally take anywhere you like, but is there anything else you would like to talk about today or that you feel is an important part of your work, but that you haven't shared about yet or just something that feels present for you right now? Mm. I guess I just want to circle back to what you were saying about your experience with the feeling really slow, feeling really slowed down and also the, you know, laying, laying on the floor and then going to the fridge and then laying on the floor. And I just wanted to voice, it's not, I mean, I'm certainly not the only person saying it, but I just also want to voice like, it's just, it's such incredible wisdom and guidance from our bodies. Yeah. So we're currently facing a threat that we can't see, we can't run from and we can't fight. So of course we're going to slow down. Of course we're going to go into a little bit of a free state. It's normal. It's a healthy reaction to this thing because it's a little, it's too overwhelming for us to process. And like how wise and kind and like smart of our bodies to seek the exact kind of comfort that helps bring us out of that, you know, like ingestion behaviors, like seeking a little food, seeking a little friendship, seeking a little connection with other people. I just really hope that anybody experiencing any kind of guilt around how they're processing this pandemic and this time of social distancing actually can take a second to just really honor the wisdom that's going on inside their bodies of like your body knows exactly what you need right now. And if that's a snack, that's because that actually is going to bring you out of dorsal freeze a little bit and put you more into a ventral vagal state. You know, if that's spending time on social media, it's because you need that, that connection with other people. Um, and just maybe just some of the knowledge that this is actually like, this is your body's innate wisdom in action. It's an extraordinary circumstance. And um, just if you can, lean into just a little bit of trust around that. Um, it'll, you know, there's, there's actually, there's a method to what your body's going through. I guess that's all I would say. Yes, that was so beautiful. I was again, just nodding along. It's like, oh yes, this is the perfect thing that I would like to share with everyone. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Hmm. Before we go, I would love to hear what you're currently offering and where people can find you. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, the biggest, th I mean, the most recent thing I offered is the course I created called Resilience, where we talk, I mean, it's just all about what we've been talking about. We talk about polyvagal theory. Um, it is a, it is a self-paced course. It's an online course. Um, I made it half price right now during the pandemic. So it's only $25. Um, 
it's sort of just, it's giving you this overview, a little bit longer overview than I gave you today. And then it's kind of walking you through the basic steps. And I sort of made it with the idea in mind that most people coming to it are probably in a pretty like dysregulated state to begin with. And so the very first exercise we do is just simply like a, a really simple, easy, you know, like I call it find your feet where we're just grounding into what our feet feel like. And then it walks you through some more complex exercises from there. But it was simply just like, oh, if people are going to be taking this course, like do they even have the capacity to um, digest or listen to this information? If not, what's the first thing we need to do? So it's geared, it's geared with sort of a first aid triage idea in mind. Um, and then it's just some really simple exercises. And then at the end of the course, I created like a little spreadsheet. So kind of teaching you, if you want to use this for more complex cases, it's kind of teaches you how you could start to run through these exercises and prescribe them to yourself for more complex issues. Um, and so that's called the resilience course. That's my most recent offering. And then um, I do have a Patreon account and I'm running a program over there called the enchantment practices. And it's just really, I, it's, it's really a work in progress. I, I offer a very simple practice um, and a simple sort of, I try to keep it to one piece of writing and one experiential practice, be that a, a, listening exercise or a, you know, exercise you can go outside and do. And it's really about like, how do we, and especially looking at it from a, a, the lens of being a, a settler colonist, um, uninvited guest on the land that I live on, but certainly applicable to people who are living on their ancestral lands too, but have simply just lost that connection. How do we start to build better relationships with the earth around us? How do we build, start to build better relationships with the more than human beings that we share this place with? And how do we do it from a lens that's not about being, um, you know, settler colonialist consumers, but rather working parts of an ecosystem? I don't have a perfect system. Like I said, it's a lot, a lot of questioning and a lot of like, um, it's really a place where I'm developing something. So it's not a finished, polished thing, but um, you can join that for as little as $10 a month. And I would say that the entire resilience course is content is loaded up there too. So if people want a more long-term um, way to interface with me, they can do that there. And then um, I also am just started moving my practice online. And so I'm offering that kind of compassionate listening and witnessing and sort of gentle guidance towards presence in one-to-one -one sessions with folks. Um, and um, it's very, I have a very limited schedule right now because like I said, I'm mostly, mostly parenting my son, but I do have some sessions available every week. So if folks want to join me and tune in for that, they can do that too. Mm, thank you yeah. so much. I yeah. will link to all of that in the show notes as well. And I'm really, yeah, really glad for everyone who gets to experience more of your work. Alison, thank you so much for, oh yeah, and your zine. I'm sorry, we should also mention oh, yeah. it again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at it across the room. I was like, hey, this zine is also really great. Let's mention that and link it in the show notes. Sure. Well. <laughs> yes, so the zine is still available. I still have copies for order. Um, I think it's mostly set up for U.S. shipping. So if you're out of the U.S. and you want a copy, maybe just shoot me an email first and I'm happy to work out how to get you a copy internationally. Um, 
I definitely got a copy to Yara. So if I can do that, I can get it to you. It might just be a few more dollars for shipping. I don't think it's a big deal. Um, but yeah, I have copies of the zine available. It's um, $10 US. And then also I was going to say, I have an Instagram account and that's kind of where I'm posting sort of my day-to-day -day stuff. Um, so if you want to join me in, you know, finding out about birch tapping or what it's like living in Alaska, I present this tiny little picture of what my life is like. Mm -hmm. Cool, beautiful. Thank you so much. Cool, yeah. We will link all to to all of that in the show notes as well. So, if anyone got too excited to note anything down, it will definitely be there as well. And just want to say thank you so much again, Alison. You shared such beautiful things with us, and yeah, I feel really like potent magic is coming through. That's so needed at this time. So, thank you. Mm, thanks so much for having me.